Very special episode. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, I have four parents with me, four fellow parents of Palmer Elementary. Now, Palmer is located right in the heart of East Denver, and it is one of the 10 schools slated to either be closed or consolidated with another school as presented by Denver Public Schools staff. The board is going to vote on this recommendation, and it is going to vote as a package deal on this. On November 17th, I convened this roundtable at the urging of some fellow Palmer parents. Now, even if you don't go to Palmer, even if your students go to DPS and your school is not slated to close, or maybe your school is slated to close, I mean, this could apply to Colfax Elementary or Whittier Elementary or one of the other nine besides Palmer that have been recommended for closure. I urge you to listen to this episode because... You never know when something like this can happen to you. We were blindsided by this. We are frustrated by the process. We are frustrated by the lack of transparency. And on this week's show, we talk these issues out. I am joined by fellow parents, Eric, Emily, Beth, and Diana. They'll introduce themselves to you here at the beginning. But listen in as we discuss what's unfolding currently at Denver Public Schools, our recommendations. This is not just a naysaying podcast, but the recommendations for how we think things can be handled better and overall what this process has been like. Now, please, please, please share this episode with everyone in your network. I'm usually pretty light on the cell, but this one means a ton to me. So wherever you can, share this episode, share the insights from it. I will have a number of audio clips also available to this. Look in the companion blog piece or in the show notes. That is johnofalltrades.us. J-O-N of all trades.us. I'm on podcatchers everywhere. So that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Audible, wherever. But I will have links to additional audio clips taken from this episode that you can share to your network. I thank you all for your time and attention. And especially thank you to Diana, to Beth, to Emily, and to Eric for their time, for their insights. Let's get this show started. Episode 341, the Palmer Parent Roundtable starts right now. So we're here tonight taking time out of our schedules because the Denver School Board is attempting to close 10 schools within the district. One of them is Palmer Elementary, of which we all have interest in. We all have kids there. And so I am gathered together with four concerned parents. Would you please introduce yourselves? Beth, let's go to you first. Tell us who you are. Tell us uh, your kids and your history with Palmer. Hi, I'm Beth. So I have a fifth grader currently at Palmer, but we have been parents at Palmer for 12 years. So I have an older daughter who is now in 10th grade, and she went to Palmer ECE since she was four years old all the way through fifth grade. And now our current daughter also went to Palmer through ECE through and now in fifth grade. So been a longtime parent and supporter and involved in the Palmer community. Fantastic. Thanks, Beth. Diana, let's go to you next. Uh, so, yes, I'm Diana Kessel. I have a daughter in second grade 
and I have a four-year-old who did uh, remote learning for uh, kindergarten unofficially. Uh, so she feels like she's right in there, uh, part of the Palmer family. And we are just have really excitement to really push this through and be a concerned parent and raise our voices for our kids. 100%. And then I've got Emily and Eric here. Would you two introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Emily Reagan, and our daughter Julia went to Palmer from kindergarten the first year we moved to Denver all the way through fifth grade, and then we had one year off, and then Maya started kindergarten in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, and so now Maya's in second grade, and we have every intention of being at Palmer all the way through fifth grade for her. That is our plan, too. So my daughters, Grace and Sloan, are in second grade and first grade, respectively. Uh, let's talk a little bit about why we're here. Who can summarize where we are for the moment for anyone who is unfamiliar? Because there are a lot of efforts out there to save DPS schools. Eric, why don't we go to you? Yeah, well, so it's interesting, right, John, because the way you introduced, you said that the uh, school board is trying to close these 10 schools. And what's actually right. happened is that the superintendent has come to the school board and next week they are being asked to vote on a proposal to close 10 of the smaller schools in our district, uh, really across the city. So some on the west side, some on the north side, and also Palmer right here in the heart of East Denver. And uh, so those are all schools that were identified after a, a set of criteria were developed last uh, spring. And the superintendent and his staff have, have rolled out a plan in which they said, we will close these schools. Um, but the fact of the matter is that what has to happen first is the the school board has to vote on it. And uh, so those school board members have been trying their best in the three-week window that the superintendent gave them to uh, gather community feedback and input. Um, but really what has happened is, is Superintendent Alex Marrero has said, this will happen and you have three weeks to get yourself organized to address it. Right, which has been super frustrating because as someone who has a history in public outreach campaigns, I know that a three-week comment window is basically a mandate, not a community dialogue. And that has been enormously frustrating. And all of us as parents have come together and go, whoa, we have not been consulted. We have not been talked to. This has not been a dialogue. This has been more of an edict. Can any of you speak to the frustrations that you feel with the way this process has unfolded? You know, I think it's been very frustrating just the way the board came and presented to us just from the get-go. It felt like a last minute email of like, hey, by the way, your school's closing. Um, <laughs> you guys are going to go to Montclair next year. Yay. Okay. We'll talk about it in two days and we'll talk about it. It wasn't a discussion and it wasn't an open discussion with the community or input. It was like all the verbs were this will happen. This is happening. And the way it was presented at Palmer that night was the same way. It was this is a done deal. There is no proposal. This is just what's happening. And the confusion it caused, I mean, even in our household of like, wait, what? When, what? What? This is happening when? It, it was just so mind blowing. And then to go through the meeting and to find out, no, no, this is not a done deal. This is a proposal. And just the disarray and confusion and not to mention we all can understand the English language. I can't even imagine for families that don't know English or don't have English as their primary language of the confusion that it causes 
and the amount of stress and trauma that it causes in the families and the kids. Well, so Diana, to that point, I follow the emails. I get Superintendent Marrero's emails all the time. It's like, we want this to be a collaborative process. We want to involve the communities. Not a single time were Palmer parents or Palmer staff involved in this. And I don't want to speak for other schools, but I imagine if you're at Colfax Elementary or one of the other elementary schools, this had to be a blindside. I think that's where so much of the frustration comes from. Would you agree? Absolutely. I was just going to add the email came out. It said declining enrollment, meeting about declining enrollment. It didn't say we're going to close your school. So you had to open the email and click on something else to even discover what this hastily called meeting was going to be at about. And then our principal was required to stand up there and deliver the district slides. I don't understand why the principals were required to deliver this news to their communities. It caused a lot of confusion because the principals didn't know in advance either, but they're asked to deliver the message when really this needs to be coming from the superintendent. Well, that's right. And and in fact, that sort of sense of rush, we had our representative on the Denver School Board at that meeting, Dr. Carrie Olson, and she told us that she'd only heard about it on Monday. So we as parents <laughs> got that email on Tuesday. She had exactly one day's notice as, a, as an elected official to make important decisions prior to really getting that message out to the rest of the community. So it's, it's weird to me because <clears throat> the way I understand, coming from corporate America, so that's my background, the board of directors of any organization is there as a check for the staff and the executive leadership for any organization for which they are charged with running. Yet the board is somehow scrambling to catch up to what's going on in this district. And so when this plan is rolled out in this way and the board goes, we don't even know, we didn't even see this, that strikes me as a very ill-conceived plan. And I think that's where so much of this frustration is coming from. And so talking with all of you, that's what I'm gathering from this. Is that fair? Everyone's nodding their heads. This is radio, not television. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's fair. That captures yes. it. Yeah. Yes, it does. Sure. So, Beth, I want to come to you because you are a parent of a fifth grader. And so the proposal is that Palmer is going to be folded into Montclair Elementary K through five uh, next year. And Palmer is going to be an ECE facility. And just based on what I know about how ECE facilities go, all of us are parents. We have been parents of young kids. We sort of understand how complex that is. But I'm curious why you, as the parent of a child who is not going to be at this school next year, why are you even involved? Why does this bother you so much? Thanks, John. Well, certainly, I, mean, I suppose it would be easy to be like, oh, thank goodness. We, yeah, we, <laughs> we escaped. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. But I, I can't imagine doing that. We've been, as I said, parents at the school for 12 years. So we know how important Palmer is to the community. We know how important it has been for our own children and really believe strongly that it could, should continue to be a neighborhood school. Palmer is our neighborhood school. And there are so many intangibles that aren't captured when we with the way that they're talking about small schools, right? Like small schools, it's coming across as if small schools are bad. There are challenges in funding small schools because of the way that DPS has chosen to fund schools. 
But in and of itself, the fact that my children had smaller classrooms, they know the teachers all the way through, right, not just their own teacher and their own grade, that there really is a community has been really, really important for my family. The fact that it is one of the only truly racially balanced schools in the elementary schools in the school district is enormously important to us and has been. Um, and so I feel like it's our responsibility to keep Palmer for the kids that are coming after my children. I, I think that's interesting because one of the reasons I, I can speak for our family here, we lived across Colfax in Park Hill. We moved into this neighborhood because we knew Palmer was our boundary school. And so we chose to be here for some of the reasons that you articulated. So it's a smaller school. It is racially diverse. Those kinds of things matter. And now you're going to close that for what? Like, we understand that, that the school board, or I'm sorry, the Denver Public Schools faces fiscal challenges. We're, we're certainly not going to deny those. But after a couple of years of pandemic and disruptions that came from that, you are now going to further disrupt these schools, especially when you can backfill funding from federal stimulus dollars. To do this now feels irresponsible and very hasty. So, Diana, I want to come to you because prior to our conversation tonight, you were at a meeting with Director Anderson, Vice President of the School Board Anderson's meeting. Tell us a little bit about what you heard at that meeting and some of the things that unfolded there. I left that meeting so enlightened and just so motivated. I was initially very frustrated initially that they had done this package deal that it was right. a 10 school kind of bonus deal that was like an all 10 or yes and no. And I was really frustrated about that because I was being selfish initially. <laughs> initially, I was like, I don't care about any of the other schools. I only care about the school my kid goes to. Sure. I only want to save Palmer. Everybody else can figure out how to save their own school. And I think that that was the intention. I'm so grateful for Director Anderson and Director Esserman putting us all together mm. and that's sort of the slap to the face for DPS is they want to make us fight. But at last night's meeting, we all had the same concerns. We all have the same amazing kids and amazing teachers and extracurricular activities. I mean, there was one school that talked about how they have these special classrooms for the autistic children. My neighbor who is, an adorable child and has been friends with my daughter has autism and Lily is able to help. And all the teachers know Lily and say, Hey, Lily, can you help me with him? Cause he's having a hard time today. And it's only because it's a small school, right? But to hear that we all have the same amazing teachers and support system and that all these schools excel. There was a parent from Whittier who, has went there, her kids are going there. And she talked about the amazing opportunity she had to meet President Bush, to go to Washington, D.C. All of that stuff, it just makes us feel united. And I felt like that was not the intention of DPS. And I love that Director Anderson and Director Esserman have brought us all together to unify as a team of something that initially I was not you know, going for. Right. Would it have been helpful, 
Do you think if Dr. Marrero and some of the staff of DPS had come and heard these stories and maybe like had they heard the stories from Whittier or from Palmer, maybe like led them to consider this differently? Of course, of course. I think they're so afraid. And I mean, they mentioned that at the work session that the reason they were rushing was because they don't want everybody to flee and lose funding. But they didn't realize that by rushing the whole process, you are making us kind of run away from DPS. Right. Now, now you're creating panic. Yes. And, and no one makes good decisions under duress like this. And essentially what you've created is a situation where you are under duress. And so demographically, I, I'm interested in this. And so, Eric, I, I saw you uh, quoted in a CPR article talking about how the district's own data contradicts some of the things that they're trying to do. And that frustrates me because it's like, okay, it's one thing if you were going to make a decision based on raw physical numbers. If, if you want to do this entirely fiscally, fine, but it seems like you are ignoring your own data. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, one of the nice things about our school board being a public entity is that a lot of their data is actually available online. And so you can go back and you can see the presentations every year. Uh, the district staff make presentations to the board um, and to the leadership about the projections for demographic changes in communities. And they also look back. Unfortunately, we just had a census, right, in 2020, just a couple of years ago, we had a census. And so what we've seen is that actually there's a fairly stable population of kids in the Palmer neighborhood and Palmer zone and enrollment. And, and you can see that even in their, their report from last year, where the total number of kids between those who are attending in the boundary and those who are choicing out of the boundary has remained pretty much stable over the last five years. And so while it's true that, you know, in the last two years, Palmer has, has had some decline in its enrollment, you know, since the start of the pandemic and since we had a change in our principal and, and anytime a new leader starts, there's always some kinds of questions about, oh, is this, you know, the kind of principal that I want my kids to be with? Now we love Dr. Principal Salter and we think that she's, she's a great leader, but we also don't think she's been given the chance and the time to really show what kind of a school Palmer can be. Right. How long well, has it been? Two years. So, so well, this is her second This year. is her second this year. This is so a, one full year. So one, one and a half years. It, not even one and a half years yet. Right. 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 Exactly. And her first year was in, was last year, which any administrator that you talk to at any school will tell you last year was the hardest year, or even harder than when everybody was remote. Like it is, it is not a year that we should be basing anybody's ability or performance <laughs> on it's just was really incredibly difficult no and then we're still we're still addressing those things so it's such a unique time in education and there's so many challenges going on to just add what you already said john to add this on top to families and staff um and principals is just is so misguided uh, well uh, and you know agree 100 percent. yes too? absolutely eric and, and, and say, right, we know that there are schools in the district that have shrunk. For example, in the Whittier neighborhood, there are three separate charter schools that are also in that neighborhood. One of them, Wyatt Elementary, just five years ago was over 600 students and now is less than 200, right? So there are schools, including charter schools, that have been losing students and have some difficult choices to make. Well, and, 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 and interestingly, 
charter schools exempt from what's going on here. Am I wrong on that? That's right. The district can't just straight up close the charter schools. You know, they have a renewal process. And so there's three criteria for closing the schools and the charters don't come in until criteria three and the closing the schools that are under 215 is criteria one. So these 10 schools slated for closure right now are um, based on having enrollments at 215 or lower. And in fact, Chalkbeat was covering the story last year when they decided to punt on school closures. And Palmer wasn't even on their watch list last year. Mm. So we went in one year from not even being on the watch list to being told your school will close. I mean, that, that feels odd. And the, like the whole criteria here just, it speaks to a process that is not super transparent because I, I read every single one of Dr. Marrero's emails to the district. I keep up with this. And even I was like, I cannot believe this is happening right now. And even if you're at one of the schools who is constantly on that watch list, it still has to feel because it's like, why didn't they come and talk to us? Why didn't they come and have a dialogue? And perhaps with that different process, we could have arrived at a different result that everyone felt a little bit better about. But right now, this is a solution that no one seems happy about. Because the process is flawed. So, Emily, you look like you want to say something. Yeah, I had just recently found out about the June 2021 small schools resolution, which is really driving this. And that that's where the small schools bad perspective is coming from. I want to clarify, small schools are not bad. There's many benefits to small schools. There's fewer discipline challenges. There's better community and relationship. But there can be some financial challenges. And so that's why they're coming after our small schools and Denver public schools. But as part of that small schools resolution, they said that DPS staff are charged with directly engaging school communities, including staff, students, parents, families, guardians, neighbors, and neighborhood groups, and advocates kits for DPS schools. And none of that happened before these closures were announced. Right. And this is such a tragedy because if they had gathered more information, they could make better decisions. We could work together to try to find solutions that are going to be better for our communities and for our children. Colorado is built on collaboration. I lived here my entire life. And if I could count the number of blue ribbon task forces that we have had, I would lose count. I, I don't have the the ability to count that high. But what I will say, as a result of those things, we have a great state to live in. Colorado, politically, very purple, right? You've got about a third Democrat, about a third independent, and about a third Republican. That means you need to engage a lot of different types of people in a lot of different types of problems to create solutions that work for the majority of them. That is not what I have felt here, which is why I'm so happy that we have all come together. Beth, let's go to you. Yeah, so part of the challenge is is I appreciate that from the superintendent and the school district standpoint, they were given this mandate through this small school um, resolution, right? Um, So they were really put in the place of, instead of, hey, we have a budget issue, we see this coming, we know we're going to have declining enrollment, you know, at different places in the district, and we need to come up with a solution. They were told, here's what the solution is going to be. You have to come up with the criteria for what the schools are, right? So I, I appreciate that the school district staff were put in a difficult position. 
and they still didn't follow all the other pieces, right? So it's definitely a both and. So that's why it's so important that the resolution be rescinded so that we don't continue to be in this place and we can do exactly what you said, John, and instead say, we know we have this problem. What are all the different ways that we could solve this? Right. right. Um, instead of saying, here's the solution and now you figure out how to do it. Right. Saying, here's our problem. Can we come up with solutions together as a community? Right. Hey, families, now figure it out. Here's what you're going to do. Figure out your own lives. No, thanks. Diana, what's up? I mean, I think Director Esserman said it best last night that DPS acted upon us and not with us. That's like the huge apology was. You, we just threw this upon you and we didn't really engage and act with you. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing is that our hope is that if we all show up and really unify, then we, it's not just to say no on the vote right now, because like Beth said, it's not solving the solution. That's just a temporary band aid. What we need to do is start from scratch and just rescind the whole resolution and really come together as a community and really fix the foundation problems in order for us to really grow and sell. Right. So, okay, let's call a spade a shovel here. I am not doing totally honest journalism because I have a dog in this fight. I care about the way this outcome is. And ultimately, I want Palmer to survive, like for admittedly selfish reasons. But that doesn't mean that I'm wrong in thinking that this process is flawed. Now, so with that said, I'm not nihilistic enough to be like, let's blow this up and just be like, okay, these schools need to survive and damn the torpedoes, damn the consequences, right? That's unfair. And so I put it to this group. There is a problem with funding. There is lower enrollment. We have lower birth rates. We have... Uh, demographic changes, the way that schools function in this district fundamentally needs to change. So you all are engaged in this issue. Let's ask this question. How would you best tackle this problem? What would you suggest to DPS? Not to just be naysaying, not to say your proposal sucks and we need to put it in the trash can, but to say, Okay, this proposal sucks, and here's what I think is a better path forward. How do we do that? I put it to all of you. Director Esterman spoke last night um, and mentioned some of the pieces and things that I've been thinking about and advocating for for a while in terms of even pieces like how do we fund schools, right? So the state gives money to the district on a per-pupil basis. But as um, Director Esterman explained, the city, the school district is not required to fund schools in the same way. They're making that choice, right? And so one of the challenges for small schools is if you're funded on a per pupil basis, the fewer kids you have, the less money you have for all of the things. And that also creates this competition piece with choice that schools then feel compelled sometimes to get more students because that means more money, right? And so the way that you get more students is you have to attract them or 
take them from other schools, right? So it automatically creates competition. It creates then this cycle where the more money you have, the more things you can do, the more community you have to raise additional private dollars, and then just continues to increase the disparities and the inequities between schools. So I think we have to start first with just Let's look at how we fund schools and do we think about that differently? You know, Beth, you bring up an interesting point because whether you are an advocate for school choice or whether you are opposed to it, the reality of school choice is that some of a school's resources are going to have to be used toward marketing activities. And if you want to treat public schools as a business to where they have to compete with other schools... That is, no matter how you feel about it, a reality of school funding. And I think for anyone who cares about the education of kids, an uncomfortable reality. Absolutely. I mean, it's a large burden for a small school to have to advocate for itself, to have to reach out to parents and explain why they shouldn't leave and go to a school that might have a higher numerical rating, you know, some distance away. So Palmer's a nice solid middle of the road school. There's some schools out there that are shinier. And so with school choice, people are always chasing (laughs) that um, perfect school out there somewhere. And it's interesting. We do have Palmer parents who say, we choice somewhere else. And we realized that was a mistake. And they've come back to Palmer and have been really happy at Palmer. So different schools are going to suit different people. And I think there's really a place for small schools in our community. Our older daughter is super quiet. And I think for her being at a small school and not having to move schools during elementary school was a huge benefit for her and her development. 100%. Yeah, well, and I just want to come on with that, John, a little bit, because, I mean, there are certainly tweaks that could be made. I mean, even in the original small schools resolution, they talked about the possibility of new boundary configurations. And in a neighborhood like ours, you know, we do have some very specific boundaries. We found out in the course of staying up half the night um, after we heard this, you know, we haven't really slept well for the last two weeks, um, that it turns out that there's an official designation for the crossing that they would require our students to do to get to Montclair, and that is called a hazardous crossing to get across Monaco Parkway. And in fact, our particular neighborhood, just like the Fairview neighborhood on the west side of town, is bound by very large, busy streets. Instead of just saying, oh, well, you know, we'll bus all of your kids, our neighborhood could Actually, our boundary right now stops at 8th, but what if it went to 6th, which is a much bigger, busier street than 8th is, and brought in some more families, some more houses, some more apartments, some more neighborhoods to to bring in the student population. But the other thing that I want to say, right, is in addition to that, if we are going to have school choice, then we actually need to be able to say that there are choices to be made. And for many families like ours, choosing a school that's not five six, 700 kindergarten through fifth graders is actually the right choice. It's the right choice for our kids. And if the district is going to say the only schools that are acceptable are the large ones where our kids get lost in, then they're not actually honoring the idea behind school choice in the first place. They're not creating a range of options that allow families to figure out what's right for them and for their kids. Well, Eric, a lot there. One, um, a hazardous crossing, absolutely. I mean, Monaco, if you anecdotally, anyone who's ever driven Monaco knows that that is not a street you want young children to cross to get to school. Secondly, okay, we're going to bust those kids. DPS, how many articles have I read about you 
failing or on a not failing even necessarily, but unable to hire, retain, or get bus drivers to run these routes. So that is the solution that seems impractical to me in a lot of ways. Eric, you brought up an, an interesting point because it's like, as far as solutions go, have we looked at the boundaries? When is the last time DPS looked at the boundaries? Do we know that? I heard it was 30 years ago, but I haven't been able to verify that. 30 years ago. Denver, okay, so <clears throat> I have lived in Colorado my entire life, and I know that this town changed in about 2008. It was right about the time that Obama accepted the uh, Democratic nomination for president, and we had the DNC here because people saw this on a national spotlight and they go, that looks like a nice place to live. And things fundamentally changed as a result of that. So the fact that we haven't looked at this in 30 years is farcical. And it seems like an easy solution compared to what we're doing now. When we're looking at things like the boundaries and the different pieces. So um, Eric brought up Fairview. And that's a great example of an elementary school. We heard last night people talking about it. And they have wraparound services that are near the school. It's in Sun Valley. Sun Valley has historically been a marginalized neighborhood and area, and they've created a lot of resources within that neighborhood to support their children. So um, before and after care at the Sun Valley Youth Center and other things, if they move their school, it's across federal, they don't have access to those other resources. So in addition to thinking about boundaries and things, we also have to think about the specific conditions for a school and what else the community and neighbors need. And that means that each school has to be looked at uniquely and what those circumstances are. I would also add that choice becomes mute if you don't have access to the resources to go to another school, right? So we always need to have neighborhood schools that really serve children, especially um, in communities where there are lack a lack of those other choices, unless we're really prepared as a district to provide choice, which means providing transportation. Right. right? So right now, what we have is not true choice. It's a it's a kind of a weird conglomeration of it that tends to benefit people who have more resources. Understood. This is the solution oriented podcast. We've talked about redrawing boundaries. We've talked about redoing this process. In your estimation, what would you like to see happen going forward? I mean, I think that the other solution that I appreciate that Director Anderson um, mentioned, and I can tell he's been reading our emails and our responses, which I'm so appreciative of, because um, he specifically mentioned Palmer and how overcrowded Park Hill Elementary is. Mm, and that is something I wrote in my email, and I'm sure a lot of parents did. Again, that what Beth mentioned, the competition that choice does in the funding per student. And during that competition, students get lost, and it's just a number game. So some of these schools, and Director Anderson also mentioned East High School, it's just a number game. So you're just piling in all these students just to get the budget higher and promoted, and it looks like a great school. And I'm sure Park Hill is, right? I, I, I have nothing against Park Hill and East High and all that stuff. But at some point in time, DPS needs to say, enough. You need to have a limit. Because how can you stuff that many kids and go over capacity? And so they tell us, which declining enrollment is real, 
birth rates declining are real, but also it's not like we're in this isolated neighborhood here at Palmer and all the other 10 schools that no kids exist. The kids are there. They're just redistributed unevenly in, in a disproportionate way. If you put a limit and say, this is the cap that you have, then at some point in time, you have to find somewhere else to go. And then you can even out in some of these schools. There's also Ashley Elementary School that they talked about that Director Esserman discussed. They're also below 215. And yes, they didn't qualify for the list this year. What about next year or the year after that? Do you just stuff them into Park Hill or do you stuff them into Montclair? Or what, what's the goal? There's unintentional consequences that you have, the DPS has not thought all the way through. They're just thinking of the short term little steps and not looking at the bigger picture and all the unintentional harm that they could cause. There, there's a carrying capacity issue. Park Hill, very, very large school. Agreed. I don't intimately know Park Hill, and I, I don't want to cast aspersions on the other schools in our neighborhood, whether it's Montclair, whether it's Park Hill, whether it's Teller, whether it's Carson. It does not matter. But here's the thing. How full are you going to stuff those schools until you break? That is an unsustainable model. Instead, we're talking about school choice here. Can you cap enrollment and then go, can we put more resources into our neighborhood schools and redistribute those resources in a way that makes sense for the communities that are most directly affected by them and the ones that are most immediately in the vicinity of them so that people don't have to choice in where the resources are going, which is where I feel like your point is sort of ultimately leading. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Emily, go ahead. Another interesting piece is this need for increased ECE classrooms. And because there's some schools that are so stuffed full with students, they don't have room to put ECE right. classrooms in them. So they're looking at they claimed putting an ECE center at both Palmer and Colfax, which is a strange proposition because these schools have two stories. The ECE kids would be limited to the first floor, so the buildings are going to be underutilized. I personally think, at least in the short term, we can make a case for keeping our small elementary schools there, perhaps squeezing a few more ECE classrooms in there in the short term. But long term, I think families would like their ECE students to be able to continue at the same school. So let's try to get the ECEs we need in all of the schools, maybe even out some of the overpopulation so there's room for ECE classrooms. And families with multiple children benefit from being able to take their ECE children and their older children to one place. So thinking about family needs, asking parents what they need from their schools is going to help DPS come up with solutions that are going to serve their families better. Well, that's right. And and I mean, that's especially true on this night when we heard Governor Polis in his reelection speech talking about the expansion of ECE in the years ahead. We have a state that's committed to increasing ECE enrollment and paying for it. And if we're going to do that, we need places for those ECE students to be. And, and having them able to be in the same building as their older siblings and to see and grow with the teachers and the principals and the neighborhoods that they know helps them feel safer and more secure so they can focus on their job, which is growing and learning, not worrying about where they're going to be next year. And John, I think the other piece, um, when you say, like, what are our solutions? Part of the challenge is 
is that we haven't been given enough information to really thoughtfully say, oh, okay, this is what the issue is and this is how we can help contribute. So we've heard that the small schools cause a drain on the budget because the district has to subsidize small schools that they can have so that they can have all those sort of basic things in terms of arts and and music and all of those things. Yeah, all the specials, sure. They haven't said this is how much it costs to subsidize Palmer or this is how much it costs to subsidize Colfax or that, you know, and so it's hard to know what the solutions are. We've done some of our own research and it seems like the amount of money they're talking about, it, I would need to know more, right? Because they're talking about it as it being in the millions, but we could only five to $200,000 last year for Palmer as in terms of a subsidy, right? So those are very different numbers. So the solution is going to be very different. And in order to really be thoughtful partners in it, we have to have the actual information. We have to know what the budgetary concerns are and not just be told it's too expensive and then trying to weigh that against, but how much is it going to cost to bus kids with our non-existent bus drivers and also a retrofit the classrooms and still keep a building open as they are saying with Colfax. So all we need a lot more information to really give thoughtful solutions, but I believe the community is full of really thoughtful, engaged parents and community members who could help come up with interesting solutions if we were given the information that we needed. Well, Beth, I'll build on that by saying that the fact that this has been rolled out in the manner that it has, has illustrated that parents of these affected schools are ready, willing, and abundantly enthusiastic to engage in these issues. So if you tell us, I don't want to assign any credit here, but perhaps, you know, this sort of like doing this at gunpoint, more or less, has charged this community to be like, we will find these solutions. Just give us a shot. But we have not had the opportunity to do that. And so at this point, we need to wrap up. So I want to go to each of you and ask you with some final thoughts, whatever you want to add, here is the time to add your final thoughts. Whoever would like to go first, please do it. Well, John, you know, what I would say is that at the end of the day, we all want our kids to succeed. We all want our kids to be safe. We all want them to grow up to be the good citizens and the good-hearted people that we want. Black, white, brown, native newcomer, whether you come from a working-class family or a family living in a multi-million dollar home, we all want those things for our kids. Well, we and Eric, th- Eric, can I build on that and just yeah. say, I think Dr. Marrero wants that too. Like, exactly. I, I think... Let's be fair here. I think the, right. I think DPS staff wants that, but I, I think the way that they have approached this has not been really well thought out or developed or executed. So giving them the benefit of the doubt, I'm going to give that's them right. the benefit of good intentions as well. So well, that's right. And trying, at least trying, if not fully successfully, to follow the guidance that was given to them by the by the board when they passed the small school resolution. But the small school resolution is a big part of the problem because what it does is it creates the appearance that what we're trying to do is to create cookie cutter schools to create cookie cutter kids. Hmm. And that's not really fair to our kids. We know that we need doctors, lawyers, and nurses, and people who pick up the trash, and we need stay-at-home parents, and we need artists and musicians and all kinds of different people. 
And if we create only cookie cutter schools, then we're saying that every kid is going to thrive in exactly the same environment. As much as I know my kids, I also know there's other kids who are just dramatically different. And I wouldn't want anyone else's kids judged by how they exactly compared to my kids. I wouldn't want a, a Kentucky Derby racehorse winner to be told it's a failure because it can't fly, right? <laughs> small schools. What a metaphor. Small schools have a valuable place and they're not for every kid. And they're not for every family. But to say that just being a small school is itself a sign of failure is just to miss the beauty of the diversity of our community and the diversity of needs and families and kids that are part of it. Well stated. Yeah, I agree. And I would just add the other piece that has really been concerning for me is I know that the district has stated and the school board members as well that they really want to address the issues of equity in the school district. And those are really important issues to me personally. I think that is the work that needs to be done. And unfortunately, this effort is in no way in alignment with really addressing inequity in our school district. Yeah, well stated, Beth. I think for me, the the final point and thoughts are DPS should not be afraid to involve the community. I think they're so afraid that we'll just run away and go somewhere else. And that at the end of the day, we all want what's best for our children. We all want our children to excel. We all want smaller schools to succeed and large schools to succeed and create these good citizens. But DPS is too afraid to let us be part of that involvement and they should not be afraid. They should be receiving us with open arms from all of the diverse cultures and really listen to us and make this work together. And I hear the superintendent saying he doesn't currently have the skill set to do that, but I have a growth mindset, both for myself. I know I can grow and learn and build my capacity. And I have confidence that the superintendent and the people down at the district offices can grow their capabilities too. And they can learn how to engage with the community. And together, we can build a thriving future for Denver Public Schools. Absolutely. I adore you all. Normally, we are all connecting under better circumstances than this. And I will say, as a Palmer parent, this school means a ton to me. And I know that no matter which school you are a part of, whether it is under consideration for closing or not, you feel the same way about your school. So what I would encourage anyone who is listening to this to do is to think about that feeling and write their school board member and publicly comment and say that this process, while giving them supreme benefit of the doubt, and I am stuffing a lot of feelings into a sack at the moment, giving them the benefit of the doubt and saying that this was even well-intentioned, I don't think it should stand as it is. We're going to leave it at that. Diana, Emily, Eric, Beth, thank you for your insights. Thank you for your engagement. This is going to air on Thursday, uh, November 10th. I'm sure I will see you all at the meeting Monday, November 14th. You know what? We can only hope for what we can hope for. We're doing our best. Thank you all for what you do. Thank you, John. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, John.